Welcome to ShimmyCast episode 29, a podcast for fans and dancers of Middle Eastern dance. I'm your host, Anala Rabari. And I just have to start out by saying, I have missed you guys. Have you guys missed me? I've been missing y'all. Um, it's been crazy, crazy, crazy. Of course, we had the holidays, so there was a lot of traveling for us. Uh, my mother-in-law broke her arm. Right before Christmas, she tripped over a box of Christmas decorations. So when we got uh, to my in-laws' house, we had to help them put up their tree and wrap all their presents and do some last-minute Christmas shopping, which was crazy. We uh, went down on a Friday night. We got there the Friday before Christmas, and it was just hectic. And the poor thing had bronchitis on top of that. But don't worry, she's starting to feel much better. So that was good. Um, then my poor dog has a knee injury. She has strained the ligaments on the either side of her knee, which we were afraid she had torn her ACL and was going to have to have surgery. But luckily that that's not what happened. She's just strained the ligaments on the side of her knee, which I can't remember what those are called, but, um, she'll be okay. It'll just take some time to heal. And then let's see. Two weeks ago, I was planning on recording a new show, and Ryan, my husband, was sick with a cold, so I was busy taking care of him, and I thought, oh, I'll record the show next week. It'll be fine, and then I caught his cold, so I'm just now getting over that, and things are calming down, and I'm finally getting to the point where I can sit down at the computer and record a new show. Thank goodness. So... Here's what's going on. You guys have done it. ShimmyCast has been downloaded over 10,000 times. Actually, this morning I checked and it has been downloaded over 11,000 times. So, yay! What freaking awesome news to get. Um, so we have some celebrating to do. First, we had a recommendation from a listener to have a video podcast, and we are working on that. Um, and I know you guys are probably thinking, Anala, you've had a while to work on that. But a lot goes into making a, a video podcast, so please bear with me. It is in the works, and hopefully we will be able to get that to you soon. Okay? Another recommendation that we had was to make ShimmyCast merchandise. So, there is now a ShimmyCast Cafe Press store. Uh, just cafepress.com um, and search for ShimmyCast and I'm sure it'll come up. And I want all of you to understand that everything in the store is being sold at cost. I am making no money off of this whatsoever. I wanted to keep ShimmyCast as a non-profiting venture because it makes it easier for me to get some artists and authors to agree to let me use the material on the show. So I just wanted you to know that the Cafe Press Store is just something fun that I wanted to be able to offer you fans at as little cost as I could. Um, right now there are just a few things. There's a tote, a mug postcards, baseball cap, and like three different styles of shirts. 
And if you see some other merchandise, like you, you notice that other cafe press stores sell something else and you're like, well, I want to shimmy cast one of those. Just let me know and I will try my hardest to design something for it and put it up there. Also, in celebration of the 10,000th download, I have set up a wiki for the podcast. Uh, You know, like Wikipedia. However, this is not a public wiki. Um, Only the ShimmyCast staff and writers will have access to this wiki, which may lead you to be thinking, well, that doesn't really affect me as a regular listener. Well, it does, because it gives us better tools to organize and write the show, thus making the show sound better for you guys. Yay! So, um, and that's another reason why the show was late. Um, we were setting up the wiki, and I've been trying to introduce some of the new podcast staff to how to use it, and slowly but surely I'm getting some of them caught up with that. And I'm excited to tell you guys that a few people have been taking me up on the plea to join the staff. And you will be hearing from some of them soon. Um, I've gotten submissions and have been reading samples and everything, which I thought was really cool that a lot of people have been sending me samples. And I was like, I'd like to write. And, you know, I, oh, I've i kind of been thinking that, you know, maybe an article on this topic would be cool. And they have some really cool topics that they've been bouncing around and some of them have just told me a little bit about their dance backgrounds and I've said well hey have you ever thought about writing an article on this topic because this is really attuned to your background would you be interested in that and some of them been like yeah that sounds fantastic so we're starting to get people um into that and everything, and so the show, I think, is really going to start picking up, and I'm really excited about that, and I hope you guys are, too, because we're also pretty soon coming up on the year anniversary of ShimmyCast as well, which is going to be really exciting. But on to this week's episode. We have the usual event announcements and answers to the question of the week. We have a review of the DVD, American Tribal Style Tribal Basics. And the article this week is about becoming a professional dancer by Salome. Uh, the music for this week's show is from Jesse Mano and Shira Kamen. So let's get started with answers to the question of the week. Do you use a dance name and why? Halima from Ottawa, Canada wrote in, I do use a dance name, although many people know me by both names. When I teach, I wear my glasses. I have my hair in a ponytail and no makeup. When I sew for people, pretty much the same look. In those moments, I'm Tracy. When I put on my costume, take my glasses off, add my makeup, jewelry, and ease myself into that goddess of dance mode. I become Halima. People often don't recognize me if they have only seen me in Tracy Lake. I've had students watch me come out at our class party and say to each other, who is she? And after a few minutes, they realize 
but often not until I'm finished and speaking while they know. As an aside, I got my name before my first performance as I was getting dressed in the basement of Sam Falafel and Tabuli Garden here in Ottawa. Now closed, Sam has passed away. How sad. I chose my name from a list he had written on a napkin when my teacher, Najala, had gone and asked him what Arabic names sounded like Tracy. He scoffed and said, There are no Arabic names that sound like Tracy. Here are a few women's names. Halima was the one I liked best, but I wanted to personalize it a bit too. So I changed the I to Y and have been Halima ever since. That's my tale. Well, thank you for that answer, Halima. And I have to say, I totally know what you're talking about as far as people not recognizing you. Um, it's really funny because there have been several times that, you know, my husband nearly goes to all the performances that we have. And he sees ladies from other troops that he knows and everything. And he's talked to them and he knows them by name and, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and... There was once that he came with me to a dress rehearsal. And when we came in, it was not everybody was dancing. We were doing a joint performance with another troupe, and not everybody was dancing. And so he was seeing all these girls that he knew from this troupe who weren't dancing, and they weren't in costumes or makeup or anything like that. And he was like, is that the same woman? That totally does not look like her. <laughs> And it was really funny because the entire time he was like, okay, who, who's that over there in the corner? Who, who's that over there next to the water fountain? And I was like, you know her and you know her. And he didn't recognize any of them. It was hysterical. I thought it was really funny. But anyway, on to the next question. Do you prefer to choreograph or, imp or improvise? Again, Halima from Ottawa, Canada. I have usually improvised when I dance. I won't say I was always fabulous, but I always, but I was always most comfortable when I was just dancing. When I first began performing, I only had a few months of lessons, so I still had a lot to learn, but I did have fun. I did a few duets with and such with other students at shows and found that I had less confidence when I was trying to remember what was coming next. Once I began teaching and let my students have the same playtime I had been given in my classes, and although this worked for some, I was asked to provide a choreography for the class as well. So I began to learn how to create choreographies. A good experience for me and a good way for students to feel they can put the moves together. I still incorporate both in my classes, and I still improvise when I dance and never perform with my students during their choreographed pieces. I could say it would be because my skills would make theirs look less, but it is more likely that I would forget the choreography. <laughs> and here's the big question. How often do you practice and for how long? Lilith from Utah posted, What a question. Don't I know it, girl? <laughs> Well, I only formally practice about two hours a week in half-hour increments. I've gotten a sh I've got a short attention span, but I practice at work whenever no one is watching, and sometimes even when they are. And Jenny from Fort Wayne, Indiana, wrote, "Anala, 
I know I need to practice more. I get an hour with my class every week, and I try to do one or two mornings of practice during the week. I'd like to get better and dance in a troupe someday. How much do I need to add? How much dance practice do some of the girls in dance troops get? I'd also like to know how much dance and other forms people have as a background. Are some people just more prone to being dancers in general? I love belly dance and the lifestyle that goes along with it, but I'm not ultra coordinated. I have no previous training or experience. Is there hope for me? So Jenny's answer was filled with a lot of questions, <laughs> which that's fine. Gosh, I it's hard for me to tell a person how much practice they need to add, and I, I don't even feel comfortable telling my own students how much practice they should add. I, that question always makes me nervous because you don't know what people's lives are like. You don't know are they already working like I know some of my students who work three jobs and I would feel terrible saying to one of them you know I know you work three jobs and you come to class two hours a week but you you need to find somewhere in your schedule to fit like another hour in I mean that's just not right <laughs> I don't think. And and everyone learns at their own speed and everyone practices at their own speed. So I would say if you're passionate and you feel you need more practice, then somehow you will figure out how much more time you should be spending a week practicing and you'll figure out how to work that time in. Um. I would also encourage you to talk to your instructor about it a little more because maybe she can give you tips on how to make your practice more productive. Because that's, with some people, that's the whole issue. It's not the quantity, but the quality that goes into it. So it's just one of those things. Like Lilith was saying before that she had a short attention span. So it may be for Lilith that she's better at practicing for 10 to 15 minutes every day whereas Jenny might be better at practicing two hours one day a week you know it's just kind of one of those things um for me when classes aren't in session well even when classes are in session okay hang on <laughs> let me back up let me start off by saying I try to practice Every choreographed routine, I know, I try to run through them once a day. I, I try to make time out and go through my whole repertoire once a day, every day of the week. And, and I do that pretty faithfully. So that usually takes about 10 to 15 minutes right now. <laughs> so I'm dancing 10 to 15 minutes every day with my repertoire. I'll then spend probably another five or ten minutes working on new material, trying to come up with new choreography either for solos or duets or a, a troupe piece. So that puts me at about um, 20 to 25 minutes a day. That happens most of the time when classes are not in session. When classes are in session, 
and particularly this session, I'm actually going to be teaching two classes. So I'll be teaching two hours a week. And then I have the opportunity to go to three other hours. So I'm this session, I might be in class up to five hours a week. And then trying to do my repertoire practice as well. And trying to fit in time to choreograph new stuff. That's a that's a tough schedule. I I'm not above admitting that, but then I'm an instructor, you know, and I think that's one thing as you grow as a dancer and you become more involved with the dance, you figure out how to work more time into your schedule for it and where to do it and how to do it appropriately. And I mean as as beginners, I, I don't think any beginner needs to be practicing five hours a week. I, I really don't because I would worry too much that you would become too frustrated and get burned out very fast with it. So I, I personally would not recommend for any beginning student to be practicing five hours a week. I, I think for beginners, it's probably one of those things of more quality than quantity as I talked about earlier and it might be more important for you to take 10 minutes a day to practice what you learned in class the week before you know like 10 or 15 minutes a day to learn to practice what you learned the week before and and to go over it so that you can remember for the next class what you learned um and the reason why I'm very big about practicing my repertoire or trying to practice my repertoire every day is because you build up muscle memory that way. I believe it was Halima who was talking about forgetting choreography. Well, and that's the big reason why I practice my choreography every day is to build up muscle memory so that when I am on stage performing and my mind wanders off and I start thinking about, oh, did I remember to pick up toilet paper, my body can still go on with the routine and I don't miss a beat. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm smiling and I'm dancing <laughs> and to look at me, no one would know that I was thinking about my shopping list. But then again, that's just me and I truly believe every dancer has to find their own niche of quality versus quantity and practice and time to do that. And now your ShimmyCast news. January 19th through the 21st, Wine, Women, and Dance, Margaret River Middle Eastern Dance Festival in Margaret River, Western Australia. January 26th through the 28th, an intensive weekend of workshops, shows, and masterclasses with Amira Thalem of Argentina, Azia of Montreal, and Virginia of Miami in Orlando, Florida. January 27th, an evening at the Old Souk, number three at 7 p.m. The location is the Rose Street Artists Co-op in Burlington, Vermont. If you would like to perform and or Vin, please contact Christine at g-w-i-n-n-a-d at yahoo.com. January 27th through the 28th, Oriental Foundations, Technique, Combinations, and Expression. Ballady Technique, 
Toxime Technique Workshops with Jim Boaz in Phoenix, Arizona. This has been the ShimmyCast News for this week. And as always, you can find more information about all of these events on our forum board. This week's review is American Tribal Style Tribal Basics, reviewed by Alexel Sema. Tribal Basics is the first volume of the American Tribal Style series that was published by the International Academy of Middle Eastern Dance. As the title would imply, this video is geared towards people who are new to American Tribal Style, meaning the more advanced tribal dancer might find this video a little redundant. Some of the movements may seem familiar to dancers coming from other schools of belly dance, but the stylization used for American tribal style is often very different from that of more cabaret styles of belly dance. Please note that there are many forms of tribal fusion belly dance that have come to be known simply as tribal. This video focuses only on American tribal style belly dance, a distinct style of group improvisational belly dance and arguably the first style of tribal belly dance. Kajiro Jumana is both the producer and instructor for the video. Dancers Sina and Najila of United We Dance are also featured to help give perspective on how the movements look on women of all shapes and sizes. Kajira teaches in a way that is simple enough to follow the first time through, but to get the most out of this section, it should be followed along with more than once. Although multiple viewings can get boring, it leaves the dancer feeling like they know the movement inside and out. In the introduction section, Kijara gives a quick and dirty explanation of what American tribal style is all about, the following is an excerpt from that section. American Tribal Style Belly Dance, also known as ATS or Tribal, is a Middle Eastern American fusion dance form. The single most important trait that distinguishes it from other styles of belly dance is synchronized group improvisational interaction between the dancers. It is very important that you recognize the focus of Tribal is on the group, not an individual dancer. For more information on ATS, please see the book Tribal Bible. The next section is labeled Warm Up on the DVD title, but this might be an error because it isn't a warm up and is labeled differently on the video. This section gives a few strengthening movements to help improve your dancing. Unfortunately, it doesn't include anything on the arms and upper back, which is very disappointing because new ATS dancers usually have trouble keeping their arms up. The instruction starts with a complete overview of posture from the toes all the way up to the head, then moves into the movement section teaching taksim, maya, ribcage circles, cross point, pedestal, three-quarter shimmy, Egyptian basic, vines, and Moroccan hip-hop. Cues, turns, variations, and arm positions for each movement are also covered. Everything is broken down into slow and fast movements with a short section for each move. 
The section starts off with a short clip of all the dancers demonstrating the movement. If there are any preparatory movements, the slides, lifts, and drops used in figure eights, for example, they are learned first. The actual movement is taught with Kajira facing toward and then away from the camera so the student can see it from both directions. With so much consideration that went into this video, I was amazed that there were no mirrors on the wall behind Kajira in this section. This simple addition would have saved both video time and money. The movement section is ended with a short follow along that shows the movement from all angles, allowing the dancers to recognize a movement no matter how a dancer is positioned. To help students link the movements together, there are two follow along sections. These sections include all the movements learned on the video with no vocal instruction, so the student can start recognizing the cues for each movement. Although this can be somewhat difficult to do in front of a TV screen, this section is beneficial overall. Topping off the video are three performances by Kajira, Sina, and Najila of United We Dance that give the student a complete feel for what ATS really is. Overall, this is a wonderful beginner's video for anyone who is new to American Tribal Style. However, a more advanced dancer may find the second volume more beneficial. And I'd like to thank Alexa Simov for um, submitting that review. And I'm really excited um, to be getting you guys helping and submitting reviews for American Tribal Style things. Because um, that's helping me figure out what I should go get to learn more about American Tribal Style. So, thanks. This week's first song is Deep Schist from the album Music of Waters by Shira Kamen.
emails and feedback. Oh, I got an email this week. Um, and it says, Anala, I wanted to know if you could suggest any good belly dance magazines to subscribe to. I am just a beginner, but I love belly dance. I feel like a kid in a candy store every time I get on the internet and discover a new site. There are several magazines out on the market. I was really interested in something that would be informative. Lots of great articles in history. Maybe something that isn't all commercial ads. Thank you for your time. Sincerely, Kira. P.S. I love your website. Thank you for letting me in on a world of info. Well, I have already replied to her and um, this is what I said. I only have experience with one paper belly dance magazine and that's Habibi. My local store gets it occasionally, not at all on a regular basis. And I usually buy it off the newsstand, although I've thought a couple of times about actually buying a subscription to it because I've really liked it so far. Um, although, you know, I think they could probably cut back on ads too. Although it looks like most of their ads seem to be event ads, which don't bother me. Internet magazines are another thing. I really like the Hip Circle and the Gilded Serpent. Those are both online like free belly dance magazines lots of articles and information and stuff there um i also use ziggurat's website although they're actually um a paper from what i understand too they're actually a paper-based magazine um and you can access more things on their website i think if you have a subscription but i don't have a subscription to them either but I, I do love their website. So now I'm going to ask the rest of you listeners if any of you have more suggestions of magazines or newsletters or anything like that that can be subscribed to or maybe that are f offered free on the internet. And start posting those on the board so we can all see where you guys are going to get your information. Next, we have a post on the blog from Natalia, who is from St. Louis, Missouri. Hey there, I love your podcast. I listen every week. But I wanted to clarify a little detail. You mentioned that Armenia used the Julian calendar because it was part of the former Soviet Union. But the USSR used the Gregorian calendar. Though the Tsars used the Julian calendar, so the changeover coincided with the revolution. The reason that most Eastern and Greek Orthodox Christians, including Armenian Christians, celebrate Christmas on the 6th or 7th is because the churches use the Julian calendar, not the local governments. This is the reason Coptic Christians in Egypt celebrate on the 6th. And of course, those comments were about the winter tradition article that I had written. And I just want to say thank you so much for clearing that up for me, Natalia. Most of that article was researched on the internet, and a lot of the websites were written by natives of the countries that I was researching. And even though their websites were written in English, they were obviously written by non-native English-speaking people. And it was very hard to follow some of their historical points. And um, I did my best to try to go and find other resources and explanations of how a lot of the, the whole calendar thing worked. 
And let me tell you guys, that can be very confusing when you're trying to go and research who was using Julian calendars as opposed to Gregorian calendars and when they switched and why they switched and who was responsible for the switching around and everything. And it just gave me a headache. <laughs> and I thought I had figured it out, but obviously I misunderstood that part. <laughs> so thanks, Natalia. And I always appreciate it when someone can help me understand the correct history of things. And I'm glad you shared this correction with me so I could then share it with all the other listeners. And please, anybody else, if you have a comment, if you hear something on the show that you're like, you know, I don't think that's right. I think this is actually the way it went down. Please feel free to email or leave a comment on the blog or um, send me an audio. Anything you need to to get it corrected because I want to make sure I give you guys good information. Um, so the email address is shimmycast@gmail.com. The forum you can get to through the blog, which is shimmycast.blogspot.com. And if you want to leave it audio, you can just click on the little logo and you use your microphone and your computer to record it. And, you know, and the frapper map's looking really cool, you guys. I love the pictures you guys are putting up. And I keep forgetting to put my own picture up, which is kind of sad. I have There's a pinpoint there for me. I just keep forgetting to go back and load a picture in <laughs> I know I'm I'm a bad host <laughs> bad bad Anala <laughs> okay let's get back to the show so our article this week is by Salome and it is a professional primer a certificate is Proof that one is competent and knowledgeable in a specific area. But there are no universally accepted certifications in Oriental dance. And with creative license dominating the scene, it becomes a moot point. In the end, it is up to individuals to deem themselves learned or lacking. Each style demands specific knowledge and expertise. But no matter the style you perform, there are basic traits every budding professional should develop. A professional. Number one is highly trained. Number two, commands polished quality movement. Number three, can make a seamless recovery. Number four, uses stage space. Number five, Possesses a complete repertoire. Number six, can perform as a soloist in a duet or a group. Number seven, improvises with ease. Number eight, can perform to live music. Number nine, possesses a sizable music collection. Number ten, can play finger cymbals and has at least basic knowledge of near Middle East rhythms. 11. Possesses correct knowledge of the culture relating to Oriental dance. Number 12. Understands the difference in style and correctly presents her or his style to the public. Number 13. 
possesses a collection of professional quality costumes. Number 14. Possesses a basic knowledge of stage makeup and appropriate costuming. Number 15. Practices the ethics of performance. Number 16. Practices the ethics of pricing. Number 17. Possesses marketing tools. PR pictures, biography, resume, demo video. Number 18. Possesses knowledge of industry standard practices, auditioning, contracts, pricing. That may seem overwhelming, but one does not take a year of once-a-week classes and then join the Bolshoi Ballet Company or a Broadway show. It takes years of dedicated application to become a professional. If developing said traits doesn't particularly speak to you, then participating in the hobbyist circuit, where performance is enjoyed on a more relaxed level, may be more your cup of tea. Before we move on to a professional dance, this is another article she's written, let's explore why these traits are necessary. Chances are, if you want to be a professional in this field, it's something you feel very passionate about. Most likely, you have respect for the dance and will desire the public's respect. You will want to be taken seriously as an artist and to be paid well for your performance. I think I can safely generalize when I say all dancers hold this position. It's only as professionals that we can collectively achieve these goals. If you have not yet developed as a professional in ethics, quality, and knowledge, it will show and will only serve to keep prices down and public perception low for everyone, including you. you all enjoyed that article by Salome and I hope that it will help some of you on your journey to becoming a professional or sharpening your professional skills and now it is time for the new question of the week and even though we're already in the new year and it's a little late um, I had come up with this question a couple of weeks ago and I still wanted to use it and that is, what are your dance resolutions for this year? I know, another tough one. It's like, man, first we have to figure out how much we got to dance and how much we got to practice. And now we got to figure out what our resolutions for the new year are as far as dancing. It's crazy. But anyway, to answer, you can send an email to shimmycast at gmail.com or go to our forum board at shimmycast.blogspot.com. And, you know, always feel free to listen to answer previous questions and we'll get those on the air. And finally, it's time for the second music pick of the week. This is Goal Sangam from the album Opium by Jesse Mano. I hope you all enjoy. And until next time, this is Anala Rabari saying shimmy on.
Let's live on through. 
Thanks again for listening to ShimmyCast. You can leave us feedback at shimmycastgmail.com and be sure to visit our website and forum at www.shimmycast.blogspot.com. Remember, the opinions expressed are those of the host and the podcast crew. Thanks again.